0: Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. It's so great to be with you. I've been actually on a hiatus the last few weeks visiting one of my four daughters in Perth, Australia. It was an amazing time. It actually gave me a wonderful time to reflect and be and have a, in a sense, a longer sabbatical. So today I want to launch out on a, uh, a series, and today's topic is six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives, six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives, and I'm going to call today simply part one. Now, God always intended that the church as a culture would be radically different than the world around us, and uh, but sadly, that's not the reality for most of our, our churches. And so what I'm going to share with you today is is actually a cultural vision uh, of the church. It's it's the fruit of years of thought and pondering. Uh, probably well over a decade ago, I was asked, what does it look like for a church to be uh, emotionally healthy? And Uh, I did a first draft uh, for a a ministry and refined it and put a lot of work into it and thought into it. Uh, And I remember giving it to this ministry and organization. The problem was they wanted it to be scalable and reproduced in churches within a one to two year period. And that was where the whole thing broke down uh, because culture is built very slowly. Change happens very slowly. But it did give me the framework then, which I've worked on it since, uh, over the years And uh, and actually We actually now put it into a, an ebook, Which I'll encourage you to download uh, A couple of times during the podcast uh, It's free uh, Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash, um, <clears throat> Church culture And I had to break down Church culture into six areas uh, One, a slow down spirituality Second, integrity and leadership Thirdly, beneath the surface discipleship Fourth, healthy community Fifth, passionate marriages and singleness and sixth, every person in full-time ministry. So again, I'm not talking so much about the mission of the church or the uh, vision or even the priorities or goals, although, of course, culture overlaps with all these things. Uh, but culture is 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 key um, to our vision, to what we're building, uh, because we, if we want to multiply deeply transformed leaders and disciples for the sake of the world, a healthy culture is profoundly important. It's a must, uh, because people are bringing into our communities, into our churches, their own culture, their own backgrounds, their families of origin, their way of doing life. And our mission is to shape them into a radically different culture, the new family of Jesus. Uh, and you know, Jesus was very intentional as he was shaping the 12 and uh, seeing the church, which was to emerge after his resurrection, his crucifixion and resurrection, you know, a, you know, a new command I give you, for example, that you might love one another, you know, not as the world loves, but as I love you, and that way the world will know that you're my disciples. And so uh, we're talking here about culture, and, and uh, you know, defining it is a bit, a bit challenging. It's the way we do things around here. Uh, every multinational country, cult, every multinational company, for example, like an Apple or Google or an IBM, they have their own culture that's distinct. Uh you know, political groups have cultures, and denominations, and parachurch organizations have cultures, and every church uh, and uh, ministry has a culture and, and ethos—the way we do things around here. And j- just think with me for a second before I launch into really part one today h- about culture. Think of. If you're part of a denomination, whether it's Anglican or Pentecostal or Southern Baptist or independent, maybe you're Roman Catholic or Orthodox, think of the country you come from, whether it's the United States or Canada or Ghana or Germany or uh, China or Syria. And within that, you've got all kinds of, you know, rural, suburban, uh, urban. Then you've got social class culture with upper, middle, upper middle, middle class, poor. Then you've got generational cultures. You know, we've got boomers, millennials, generation X, Y, Z. The world's changing very rapidly, and each generation has its own culture. Actually, and, uh, and then you've got ethnicities uh, as well with their own culture. And I think if just here in the United States, we got African Americans. You have Latinos, and all Latinos from all different you know countries of Latin America or Spain. Then you've got you know Filipinos and and Italian Americans, and, and the list goes on. Uh, you know, suburban white United States is, is a, definitely a culture. And I was very aware of that, particularly when I started our church at New Life Fellowship uh, many years ago because it was an urban immigrant, uh, poor working class community here in urban New York City. And I remember the limits of at least you know the, the dominant power culture in the United States in terms of conferences and publishing uh, you know, magazines, is white middle-class evangelicalism, at least in our tradition. And the United States is the most powerful economic, you know, country in the world. And, and, and so you had, a, you know, stuff I was being exposed to, especially once I was in, you know, seminary and going to conferences, was primarily white evangelicalism in suburban areas. Yet I was planning a church uh, that did not have many white people uh, and was 75 different countries in it, which is what New Life Fellowship is today, uh, but very urban, very different culture. And I remember <clears throat> being at uh, you know, more than one conference and learning and loving certain aspects of different ministries, but realizing that they were a culture. Uh, I think of John Wimber who was rolling around in the days, and he was still alive and uh, in the early '90s. And the Vineyard, at that point, uh, not, necessarily, not necessarily today, as far as I know, but at that point it was very California you know, culture. And here I was in, you know, urban New York and uh, just very aware, like I, I, I you know, and i bringing some speakers in, uh, often from places like California and realizing, oh my gosh, this is such a different culture. And so even now, New York City is changing so rapidly, just like I'm sure your city is or where you live. And the implications are vast as we plant churches and develop new churches for the next generation, uh, that culture changes. And so Again, the question is, what's what's a church culture look like that deeply changes lives, whether it's leaders or disciples, that that, that multiplication takes place? So I'm going to talk about six areas, one per week. Each one is so rich. Uh, There's so much to it. Actually, I was preparing just today. I was aware, oh my gosh, can I even do this? In one podcast, uh, the first topic, which is a slow down spirituality. Uh, So again, here's the six. I'll overview it again. Let's dive into slow down spirituality. So first is slow down spirituality. Second is integrity and leadership. Uh, The third is beneath the surface discipleship. Uh, The fourth is healthy community. Uh, The fifth is passionate marriage is in singleness. And the fifth is six. The final one is every person in full-time ministry. So again, let me invite you to uh, download of the free ebook here before I launch at emotionallyhealthy.org/churchculture, and uh, it's got some discussion questions for your team. But here in this podcast, I'm going to expound on it much more than I did in the ebook to give you a sense of a whole. But the ebook's got some great questions for you and your team to think about. <clears throat> All right, number one, let's go in. Let's dive into slow down spirituality as the the first mark of a culture that deeply changes people's lives. And so we're talking about a a, a culture a, a Uh, a people where people have slowed down their pace and their activities in order to be with Jesus, out of which everything flows in their lives. Now, let me give you a bit of history of uh, my own story of how I ended up here and what I'm not talking about in the slow down spirituality, because I want to refer to something a bit more drastic than probably many of you have been exposed to in uh, your own training and development. And uh, I, I was remember teaching in 2002, 2003, <clears throat> a whole series on the book of Revelation. And I spent a year and a half on it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I uh, was deeply impacted by it as, you know, John, the Apostle John, writes this book to these seven churches in Asia Minor who were under enormous pressure from uh, the Roman Empire being persecuted, with all kinds of lies. And he gives these images that are so rich of the Beast and the dragon behind the beast, and this warfare and all these metaphors and images, uh, but it gives such a deep sense of the pressure we're all under from the world, the flesh, the the devil himself, and the intensity of the warfare. And yet we're called to bear witness to Jesus and be faithful to the end um, <clears throat> through our very lives. And I remember getting to the end of the book. And I really wanted to drive on, well, what do we do? You know, How do we combat the beast? How do we overcome the beast? And I knew the biblical teaching that was there in Revelation. I mean, I, I was immersed in it. And I remember cl- my closing message, uh, or second to the last closing message, uh, pulling out Dallas Willard's book, Spirit of the Disciplines, and calling people to disciplines, uh silence, you know, scripture, etc. And and the classic evangelical disciplines and which I all believe and love them in and love them. And I, I mean, this Jerry and I are are deep into, you know, we from the time we came to Christ uh in the seven, late seventies, very faithful in quiet time and scripture and quite disciplined and not legalistically, but just we're just pretty disciplined people and Um, You know, following Christ and and uh, this this great gift of our tradition as evangelicals as Protestants, and I know most of you listening to are are like me, evangelicals, and we're active. We mobilize people for the work of mission. We're we're into Scripture, uh, and and we're reaching the world for Christ. We've got so many riches, I think, of 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 a clarity of the gospel, but we're very weak at stillness and silence, slowing down. And that affects the way we build communities, affects the way we do mission, it affects the way we make disciples, uh, and so something drastic. I realized in two thousand two, two thousand one, two thousand two, in that series, two thousand three, something drastic was needed to slow people down. <clears throat> and I remember years ago, and I, I I heard this. Don't know where it's written. Where Dallas Willard referred to the mega churches in the United States, in particular, as a blip on the screen in church history that they will disappear at some point because they're not sustainable in the kind of spiritual life they've developed. And so we're talking about a slowdown spirituality which um is going to which requires I got to expose you and bring you into a broader culture than your own church culture as as well. So for example, if you're going to measure success just by numbers, Uh, Forget this. Just just slow down spirituality is not going to happen. That's the only way you're measuring success, because to measure your church by numbers alone and say that's success, that alone is a culture. Um, And so I want to broaden you to, yes, be deeply evangelical, but actually broadly ecumenical. In other words, we want to learn from other people outside our tradition as evangelicals without losing our distinctives and our, and our strengths. That's why church history and scripture are so important. And uh, in 2003, was a turning point for me as I, you know, I've said this before, they don't even know our stories, which Jerry and I actually took a four-month period to learn from uh, monasteries, <clears throat> slow a slow-down spirituality. We knew it was key. Uh, and we knew we couldn't find it in our tradition not the way that we not not strong enough to slow people down i think that that's what took us into a whole other world because um i I began to realize oh wait there's a whole tradition of a slow down spirituality of of a monastic kind of a life found in moses for example and elijah in scripture in john the baptist in the desert and jesus himself And, and and that there's always been this theme through church history of the Desert Fathers were were tremendous influence in the early, you know, two, two, three centuries, fourth century, that affected the first 1,500 years of the church. Um, And then you had the split in Roman Catholicism in 1517 with the Protestants. And, uh, you know, then you had, you know, know, we we had the Roman Catholic, I'm sorry, Orthodox split in 1054, Eastern and Western churches, uh, and both the Eastern and the Western Roman Catholic church had a... Deep foundation of monasticism, and then in 1517, you had the Protestant Reformation split, the third big split. Which, and if you study the Reformation closely, they shut down all the monasteries, especially in England and Europe. Uh, and so, as a result, uh, that had a again, it was a reaction against abuse that was going on at the time, but it had a deep impact on us today. Uh, and, and I like what Timothy Ware, one of the great Orthodox scholars, says: you really can't understand the Eastern Church the Orthodox Church, without understanding monasticism. Again, think about the Ethiopian uh, Coptic Church, the, the Coptic Church in Egypt, the Syrian Church, the Russian Orthodox Church. And that's why it's so important that we learn from out— we, we learn and get exposed outside of our own culture. I'm talking about American evangelical culture, which is very limited, or Western evangelicalism, uh, and, and broaden ourselves. And so for, for Jerry and I, we, we, we in 2003, four we took this sabbatical to learn from uh, Roman Catholic orders, whether it's Franciscans or Trappists, uh, whether it was Orthodox monasteries uh, and churches, as well as then some Protestant evangelicals that were experimenting with uh, Orthodoxy. You know, I just remember in particular being at Taise in France, a, a monastic community uh, that actually is committed to bridging the Orthodox, Roman Catholic, and Protestant worlds, and uh, had a to monast- create a monastery and a movement to, to that you know, towards that end, it's quite beautiful and being so impacted by it. But that's when the truth of there's only one church in the world actually came home to me. And what makes a person a Christian is not the church you attend, it is your relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, right now on my desk, uh, I've got a book called The 21, a journey into the land of Coptic martyrs. I actually heard a lecture by the person who wrote this, and and it's, it's the, the story of the 21 orange clad men on a Libyan beach. Uh, who were killed by ISIS, uh, and all but one of them were Coptic migrant workers from Egypt, and there were believers. and This fellow went back and, and went back to their villages and get the out their stores. It's tremendous, uh, but but again, I just the, the learning of what what is it about the, the these fellows, the, these twenty one folks that went to their deaths so well as martyrs for Christ? Um, you know, it's so interesting. I. To learn from even the, the Egyptian Coptic Church and some of the riches there, uh, it's a long way from skinny jeans and you know smoke machines. And it's just so interesting. I hear people making judgments so quickly of other churches. Whether it's relics, I remember being in Kiev in the Ukraine many years ago, and uh, being in one of their monasteries, and they had relics of you know dead bones in the uh, basement, uh, and people were you know walking by it, and I thought to myself, wow. Uh, I remember when uh, Jacob made sure that, uh, you know, his bones were carried to Egypt. I mean, to, uh, you know, to Egypt when he went there. And so it's very, very interesting. There's so much to learn there. But so again, part of my goal here is perspective. And if we want to create a culture that multiplies, deeply changed disciples and uh, leaders, uh, uh, we've got to feed the sheep and we've got to slow folks down. Uh, but and you've got, to, but but I, I, I'm saying all this background because you've got to be willing to die on this hill, because we don't slow down people to be with Jesus and create culture of people are slowing down to be with Jesus. Um, we're not going to bear lasting fruit. In fact, it's not possible. And so we're talking about how do we create a culture where where people are are people the ones that you're leading, and I'm leading, are refusing to allow the hurry uh, of the world set the pace for them that they develop rhythms that are slower and quite deliberate, that being with Jesus is more important than anything in life. I'm not going to live off other people's spirituality. And yet they're able to, they're, they're spending time with Jesus and themselves and with others, but they're flexible, able to change. Uh, and they've got some foundational practices to cultivate this communion with Jesus so that they're doing uh in life flows out of being with Him. So, just try to imagine a culture. And then we'll talk about you know how do we get there. But a, a slow down spirituality in and, and, and those whom you're leading. Where uh, here, I'm going to give you five aspects of that from where I, I see they're pretty key to slowing people down. One is that that I'm in Scripture. People are in, in Scripture, uh, not simply in a small group or listening to sermons, but actually are in Scripture for themselves, feeding on that and and. Um, You know, I know for myself, uh, you know, it's life and death to be in Scripture feeding on this word of God. But also then there's silence and solitude in in folks' lives that they actually have a two-way relationship with God, not a one-way relationship with God. I know for myself, my 20 minutes of silence and stillness each day are critical uh, for me uh, to start my day. And then, of course, I, I, you know, I'm I'm very much committed to silence throughout the day and at certain points and try to do midday offices, morning, midday, evening prayer. But silence and solitude uh, are just so key for a slowdown spirituality. I don't know if it's possible to have one without it. And then, of course, there's Sabbath as another key foundational spiritual practice where for a 24-hour period, I stop, rest, you know, delight, uh, contemplate, you know, God. Uh, So we're actually tasting heaven. And, uh, you, know, w- you know, we want folks who aren't just cultural Christians, uh, you know, we are what we do, but, uh, but actually have gotten off crack, you know, the crack of doing uh, and i have slowed down for not just scripture or silence and solitude, but actually for Sabbath. And I like to say I've yet to meet a person who's got a great rhythm in their life, a leader especially, who does not have a Sabbath as a, as a core spiritual practice. Along with prayer and Bible study and worship and other things, I mean, it's it's a it's a gigantic spiritual practice. And, and then for me, a, a rule of life: uh, how do I structure my life around Jesus? Again, this comes out of monasticism, and I think some of the what, what I'm saying: if we're going to learn to be a slow down spiritual culture, uh, we've got to pull from traditions outside of our own. Uh, I'm talking about the Reformation forward, uh, and the, the the gift of a rule of life, which is part of how monastic communities are are shaped is How do I create a structure around which everything I do, uh, you know, breeds of Jesus? And then finally, uh, you know, another core practice I, I see the slowdown spirituality in in a community is an issue of discernment that my life is listening to Jesus uh, and discerning what is he saying to me. And I, I think for those of us who are living outside of monastic communities, the Ignatian spirituality is is very key. I'm, I'm listening to him. Listening to my body, uh, the body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. And so that, so if we can slow down our people and we come together on a weekend service to worship, uh, it's not about our worship teams trying to, you know, get people all jazzed up because they're cultivating their relationship with Jesus all during the week and it just kind of flows out of that. And and uh, then they're drink, drinking in corporate worship and, and excellent teaching from scripture, but they've got their own base out of which and, and slow down spirituality out of which they're living. You know, again, our goal is a culture, you know, who, like Jesus says in John twelve twenty six, whoever serves me must follow me. Whoever serves me must follow me. Uh, you know, most of our churches have this theme, you know, we want to connect, grow, serve. We want people to connect somewhere, grow and, you know, be growing and serving. And, uh, and uh, it's all good. I mean, I, I like it. Jesus, however, defines whoever serves me must follow me. And so my number one goal as a leader is I want to create a culture where people are following Jesus. You know, how do we best serve Jesus? Follow him. I'm listening to his voice and I am following his voice. Now, this begins first with us as leaders. If I'm going to create a culture of a slowdown spirituality, I've got to slow down. Um, You know, I was asked recently, you know, actually, how do I how do I do my rhythms when i'm on vacation and i can i just came off a vacation and my answer was that i i i'm always thinking about my rhythms of how am i going to be with jesus today and you know psalm twenty seven four, from david is like my life verse or one of my life verses where he says one thing i ask of the lord this is what i seek that i may dwell in the house of the lord all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty and to seek him in his temple and that I, I, the invitation for us as leaders, I believe, is to leave the world and leave the, I'm going to call it the American church, in my case, the Western church, uh, which has so much of the world in it that we can't even see it. We're swimming in it like fish. And so I think about it at night, I think about the day, when am I going to get some times to be with Jesus the next day? You know, How am I going to do my rhythms? And so I, you know, I think in terms of morning, midday, evening, that, that I'm always, you know, those are my big pauses. Each day, every day. Uh, so I, I've got. So I think it does. Be it does begin with us. If, if you're not living a slow down spirituality, it's not possible to create a community or a church with a slow down spirituality. Uh, same thing with you. So you may not be the lead point leader, uh, but you may be uh, over a small section of your culture or your community. But you you can't create that a slow down spirituality in your team unless you slow down yourself. Listen, it's like we're on crack of doing. Uh, this is really difficult. Um, I'm, I know th- this is the first mark of a church that deeply changes lives, church culture that deeply changes lives. And it is incre- it, it's first because it needs to be first. This takes time. It takes process. And again, just think of this of the Israelites learning how to do Sabbath. They didn't just learn after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, of working seven days a week like slaves, to just have a one day where they would... You know, Sabbath to the Lord their God. They learned it over time uh, through trial and error. It's quite difficult. for So give yourself a lot of grace for you to learn to slow down spirituality as a leader. To actually get it in your life is going to take authentic time. So you want to take small incremental steps. So it begins, number one, with you. So just remember, you don't want to get ahead with the people you're leading beyond where you are. You want to say, follow me as I follow Christ. So and give yourself your grace, get yourself on a journey. But then, then the second thing is you're going to build a culture is not just you as a, as a leader, but then your, your core team, your few reports, who, who are the key people uh, that you are developing that are on your team. And then you begin to build into their into your supervision and into, your, into their job description. There's accountability that they're going to live the culture you want to create. And again, I'm giving you one aspect of the culture here, which is slow down spirituality. Uh, we're not just hiring technicians who can get something done. Uh, secular companies can do that. Uh, and now you're saying, I oh, know the people around me are not formed. Of course they're not formed. This this is People are not coming to you as even leaders formed in the kind of culture we're talking about here. Uh, this transcends, uh, you know, slow down spirituality transcends uh you know any particular denomination or time in history is this is, you know, pe- this is, this is so radical for the world we're living in today. So this this has to become part of your supervision and evaluation. Again, first out of your own life and then with your team. Uh, something you're talking about. So. Uh, for years, would say you know, if in our, when I was leading New Life Fellowship, if you were not, and still to this day, if you're not Sabbathing and you're part of the pastoral staff team, um, you can't work here because you're not modeling what we're seeking to breathe into the culture. And uh, again, you can't give what you do not possess. And then, of course, then you bring it to the whole church culture. And you know, how do you do that? And, uh, and right now, since emotionally healthy discipleship has you know gone on around the world, there's so many creative ideas and. People are doing so many wonderful things, uh, and, and I'm hoping we can create a clearinghouse at some point to do a better job of making that all available. I know a few things that I did along the way because I, I was very aware of. I want to create a slow down culture, and so I brought in, I did things that were outside the box, like I brought in a Trappist monk uh, who had 50 years of prayer. Uh, to, to, and I interviewed him from the pulpit on prayer. I brought in Franciscan monks who were working with the poor in the South Bronx here in New York City to talk about their calling and their vocation. Uh, I remember doing preaching and, and teaching series on things like Elijah on silence and stillness or in Sabbath and began to do, deal with topics that normally weren't dealt with very often in at least you know my tradition. I remember just talking about redefining success as, not, as beyond numbers. For our staff and our leaders, and talking about you know who we are as people and making disciples, we had to offer things like days alone with God and uh, move, bringing this into membership class that we're not we're going to equip you not to live off our spirituality but develop your own. I remember stretching people very intentionally and slowly theologically uh, to not be so judgmental towards folks outside of our tradition because it's very normal when people come out of whatever they come out of whatever kind of church background they're anti it and. Um, And again, you want to stay on, you do all this while staying on your mission, uh, in terms of how God's called you to reach the world for Jesus, and which is the great strength of, uh, I would say, the evangelical charismatic Pentecostal tradition is: we want to bring Christ to the world, and I think in a way that's culturally relevant, and we want to stay biblically grounded, you know, in the Nicene Creed and Scripture and et cetera. But actually, in, in a desire to change the whole church culture, that's what led us to the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course in the first place. I mean, I, I'm very, you know, I'm not a guy who's into program at all. In fact, you know, New York is filled with cynics. Um, but I'm very aware of culture as a leader trying to shape a culture. And the reason um, I f- we finally developed what we call today a, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course part one and two was I, I, I needed, as our church grew and as years passed, uh, I, I needed to create a culture that would last beyond my person, and I realized I couldn't do it as the church grew larger. And then, of course, as I handed the church over and did succession, um, it became very obvious that um, you know we needed something. But it, actually, even before I did succession, I couldn't. I, I recognized there were pockets of the church that were not getting these values, and so we created that Part One and Part Two of the Emotional Discipleship Course to to bring something much like Alpha does for evangelism. That it creates in the culture a some value. It creates in the church a culture that stays there long term. Then it gets you know worked out, and so things like the daily office where people are introduced to silence and stillness is co- the core of the course, um, and everyone in the church is exposed to that. And then you've got a common language, you've got common tools, you've got a common theology, uh, and you're creating a culture. So uh, I don't. I, at this point, I cannot think of any other way to create this kind of culture without bringing something in centrally, beyond small groups, um, that everyone does. That's high quality and well done. And I, you know, you want to encourage, it, you know, find out about that when you're ready. So here's a few objections, and I'll bring this to a close. People say things, Pete, this isn't practical. We're program-driven, uh, we're weekend service-driven, and uh, it's just not going to work here. And so my answer to you is, well, listen, cultural change is very slow. New York City was the last place this should ever have worked especially in light of my personality, which is a bit ADHD, uh, and I'm a local church pastor, etc. So I ha- is it practical? Yes with uh, yes and no. With human beings, it's impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. If you believe me, he wants you to slow down to be with him, out of which all of your leadership will flow. You say, I'm not the point leader, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, I get it. Uh, and uh, I, I was the point leader, and yet I created the system that was all about doing and fast, So, yes, we're dealing with powers and principalities that are beyond us. But Jesus has defeated the works of the devil on the cross of Jesus. But you just do your area that you're responsible for. You create a healthy culture out of your being. Let God take care of the rest. And I can give you many testimonies where that has worked. You may say, it's really hard. It doesn't work for me, Pete. It's not natural. I tried and failed. Well, welcome to the club. I did as well. Uh, I tried and failed. Um, And uh, you're going to develop new muscles. This is going to take time. Uh, in fact, I preached about it for years and read about it for years before I actually lived it. I think we underestimate how radical it is when we say to people, slow down, slow down spirituality of being with Jesus. And if you feel guilty, as someone said to me, I feel shame when I slow down because all these monsters emerge from within. And again, that's normal as well. It's a gift from God. Uh, transformation takes on whole new levels of meaning when we in, when we add silence and stillness to our lives. But here's the fruit I can promise you. you'll If you'll enter into a slowdown spirituality for yourself, your team, and your and the church or the ministry you're leading, you'll be less triggered, more relaxed. Uh, you'll be listening more to God and people. Uh, you'll be less controlling, being excited as people discover their own dream for their lives, God's dream for their lives. Your community will to be healthier, more joyful, and creativity will flow. Gifts will flow that you didn't have time to even hear before. So much comes out of slowing down. So, to what degree is your culture characterized by a slow down spirituality? And uh, think of it on a scale of one to ten. One is it's not true at all. Ten is it's completely true of our church culture. Where would you be on a scale of one to ten? And let me invite you to download a free ebook on the topic. You know, six marks of a church culture that deeply changes lives. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org/slash church culture. EmotionallyHealthy.org slash church culture. Download that book. You know, read it. You know, take it through with your team. Begin talking about it. Next week, we'll go into number two, which is uh, Integrity and Leadership, a uh, second mark of a church culture that deeply changes live, lives. But listen, give yourself a lot of grace. Give your team a lot of grace. Give your church and ministry a lot of grace. uh this is a revolution. But as Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. How else are we going to bring change to the world? that's going to be lasting long-term unless we remain in him and move our people to a life where they're remaining in him as well. Thank you, everybody. It's been so great to be with you. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. And I look forward to seeing you next week.